Amen. You may be seated, everyone. Thank you, worship team. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 21. The book of Genesis 21. We have been on a series looking through the life of Abraham and Sarah. We've entitled this message, Following God, um, Lessons Through the Life of Abraham. And this week and next week will be the last uh, two messages uh, through this series as we prepare for the season of Lent, which prepares us for Easter. And so Genesis 21, when you get there, hold on to your place. The title of today's message is God is going to make you laugh. God is going to make you laugh. Help me preach this afternoon. Look at the person next to you and say, God is going to make you laugh. Don't be shy about it. Look at the person on the other side of you and say, God is going to make you laugh. Think about the biggest challenge before you, that which seems impossible. God is going to make us laugh about that. Let's pray. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to breathe on us as we look to him in Scripture today. Lord Jesus, Lord, we ask that you would breathe on us today. Open our eyes, our ears, our hearts this afternoon. May your kingdom come in us. May your will be done in us and through us as well. We offer this time to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. One of the delightful moments of life are the times in life when we can laugh about something that we thought at one point was the worst thing ever. We've all had those moments that in the moment it seems this is the worst thing ever, and then later on we're able to laugh about it. It's human nature to be a prisoner of the moment, that when something bad happens, it's easy for us to get swallowed in that moment and in that season. But when we look back at those moments and we're able to laugh, there's nothing better than that feeling. There are many moments that we've all had like that. There are many moments that I've had like that. One of the moments in particular that I'm able to laugh at now that at the moment I could not laugh about happened on Rosie and our, our, my wedding day and the day after. <laughs> Got married 11 years ago, January 28th. There was much to celebrate about that day. The weather was much like it is outside today on a January day. Beautiful weather, just uh, magnificent. Rosie shows up. Thank God she shows up, you know, so that makes it beautiful. We have a great time. We're in anticipation. It was the happiest day of my life. But during that, you know, during the day and the next day, there are some things that didn't go as we planned them to go. When the bridesmaids were coming down the aisle, the bridesmaids came down to the wrong song. And so I'm already upset. We planned this thing out, and now they're coming down to the wrong song. We say, I do, we go to, ready to go to the reception, and we have paid for a cocktail hour, and we paid for the reception after the cocktail hour, but because of traffic, immense traffic going through Chinatown to get to Weehawk in New Jersey, we missed the cocktail hour. We walked in, and there was no one there. I think it was just my uncle, happy that no one else was there was just eating. <laughs> We had the festivities, we're dancing, we're having a good time. The next day, we go on a plane to Puerto Rico because we're about to go on a Royal Caribbean cruise. We're about to go to Aruba and Curacao and St. Martin and St. Thomas and just have a good 
time. And so the first day of our honeymoon, we're in this nice uh, cabin with the balcony on, on the ship, on the boat. We're able to look outside. We had a little sliding door, and we're able to do that. And so the, the first day of our honeymoon, where I'm on one side, and I think it seemed like someone was knocking on the door. And I think Rosie said, hey, could you see if anyone's at the door? And so I'm happy. I, I got that. I run to the door. You know, I just, I'm just so happy. I'm married. I'm just so happy. I open the door. No one's there. And as I'm about to close the door, I guess because of the air pressure in the cabin, there's a cabinet that's open right here. And as I close the door and turn this way, the wind pressure opens the cabinet violently and hits me right in my eye, just right in my eye. Jump on the ground, on the bed, and all of a sudden, blood is pouring out of my eye. Rosie's about to pass out because she sees the blood there. I had to get four stitches. First day of our honeymoon, I said, dear Jesus, may this not be a sign of what's to come. And so blood is dripping, stitches on my eye. We're taking pictures for the honeymoon. Big bandage on my eye. Black and blue eye all of a sudden. If that's not enough. We're taking pictures. We're having a good time. We're making the most of it. A couple of days later, they steal our camera. At the moment of this all happening, now we still had a great time, man. We found another camera. I stole somebody else's camera. He just had a better thing. I got, don't worry, Rosie, I get it back, you know. And, 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 it, at, we can, and we can laugh about it now. But when it happened, I assure you, ain't nobody was laughing. <laughs> this past week, we had um, dinner with a, a, a couple, and they came over. We were talking about, uh, you know, marriage and the honeymoon. And about a decade later, we're able to tell the story and laugh about, oh, wasn't that funny when your eye got busted on the first day of the thing there, and you lost the camera, and we survived it. We're able to laugh about what happened. Now, in that moment, there's nothing to laugh about. But when you're able to look back and laugh, we're essentially saying that that moment might have been bad. But our lives are not controlled by that moment. When we think about our lives today, many of us are in challenging life situations that's nothing to laugh about. Many of us are in this room, perhaps, and there's marital troubles, financial difficulties, problems on the job, problems with your health, and there's nothing to laugh about. And yet in this moment, I believe God has a word for us, and this word is to have a prophetic edge to us because I don't think that you might be able to laugh about something, but I want to tell you about the future. And I want to tell you what's coming, that although you might not feel it today, God is going to make you laugh. And we see this in Genesis 21, a story of a woman and a man who lived their lives without a lot of laughter, but one day God's promise came to pass, and they laughed. In Genesis beginning in verse uh, 1, chapter 21, hear the word of the Lord. This is not working here, so let's go to the advance slide for me. It says, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. 
When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Abraham is 100. Sarah is 90 years old. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have thought, said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, and yet I have borne him a son in his old age. A few weeks ago, we started in Genesis 12, and we saw that Abraham is minding his own business, his wife Sarah is minding her own business, and God interrupts them and calls them on a pilgrimage. God calls Abraham and Sarah to leave their family, to leave their household, to leave their country to a land that God is going to show them. And part of this promise that God told them to leave was because God said, you are going to be, have a child and you are going to be the father of many nations. And so Abraham and Sarah follow this God, go on pilgrimage, make mistakes, fail here and there. But throughout their failures, throughout their sins, throughout their mistakes, God consistently promises them that they are going to have and be a father and mother of many nations. By the time of our passage last week, Greg showed us that God gave them another promise. God gave them a new name, a new identity. He went from Abram to Abraham. She went to Sarai to Sarah. But with this new name came again another promise. But even though they had a new name and even though they had a new promise, they still had the same problem. They did not have a child. They thought that they would have a child by this time. 25 years have passed by and still they do not have children. And yet God promised them not only that they would have a child, but they would be the father and mother of many nations. We see God making a promise, but it takes time for this promise to unfold. And we see in Scripture that this is a consistent theme throughout the Scriptures. We see this in the life of David. The prophet Samuel comes and looks for who is to be the king. And, 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 and David's father says, Jesse says, there's no other children. And, and Samuel says, there has to be one more. And David comes on the scene and Samuel anoints him to be king. But David had to wait 15 years to actually go from being anointed to actually becoming the king. He had to live between the space of promise and fulfillment. We see this in the prophetic books, that the prophets tell the people of God that they are going to return to their land out of this exile. God gives them a promise. It takes about 70 years or so for them to leave exile, to return to their homeland. And the people of God have to stay in this space between promise and fulfillment. We see this in the New Testament where the people of God are waiting for the Messiah to come. God has promised over and over through the Old Testament scriptures that the Messiah is going to come. They are waiting for this Messiah to come, but they have to wait in that space between promise and fulfillment. We believe that Jesus Christ has come, that Jesus Christ died, that Jesus Christ resurrected, that Jesus Christ is coming again. We hold this to be true, that Christ is going to make all things new and come back, but the church waits in that space between promise and fulfillment. 
And this is more than just what happens in the prophets. This is more than David. This is more than the people of God in the New Testament. All of us from time to time will live in this space between promise and fulfillment. For some of us in this room, you, you read the scriptures, you know God has made promises to you in the scriptures, or God has spoken to you that you know that you know that you know that God has spoken to you about a situation. Maybe you received a dream, maybe you received a vision, maybe you received a prophetic word from someone, maybe you know that you know that you know that God is going to intervene in your household, intervene in your finances, intervene in your relationships, but you find yourself in that space between promise and fulfillment. And we've all been there before. Abraham and Sarah, for 25 years after God's initial promise, have to wrestle in that space between promise and fulfillment. And so 25 years after the promise, finally Sarah gets pregnant. We've been waiting seven weeks for her to get pregnant. She waited 25 years to get pregnant. A few weeks ago, we heard that Hagar, her slave, went to CVS to buy the pregnancy test. Now it's Sarah's turn to go to CVS. And I imagine Sarah buys two pregnancy tests just to make sure. She takes the first pregnancy test. She sees, I'm pregnant, but just in case, I'm 90 years old, maybe something's wrong here. She does it again. And it comes out that she's pregnant again. So I imagine she runs out of the bathroom, shows her husband that I am pregnant. She is full of joy, but you do know it is a cautious joy. It's a very cautious joy. Why? Because she's 90 years old. Perhaps she's wondering, will my body be able to sustain the pressure that, and the changes that's going to take place over the next nine months? Perhaps there were days where she did not feel the baby moving inside of her. And so perhaps she's thinking, I'm old. Can my body sustain this child as this child develops? Perhaps she thought at different times in this process that she lost the baby. Could you imagine every single day she had to trust God? Every single day she had to ask God to sustain her. Every single day, she had to return to the promises of God. And so Abraham, I imagine, the first trimester passes, and Abraham says, we got to share the news. And she goes, we can't share the news yet. You know, people usually share after the first trimester. We are past that, that danger zone, and now we can let everyone else know what happens. But may I imagine Sarah waits until the second trimester. And she goes on Facebook, and then she puts a picture like that up there. We are pregnant. And she's excited. She's letting everybody know. There's a baby that is on the way. And she's excited about it all, but yet she still, in the back of her mind, had to wonder, will I make it through? She had to trust God with her body, trust God with his promises. And so nine months later, after the promise, she gives birth. And the response to the promise is for her to laugh, to laugh. Look at verse 1. It says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. I love how it just says Sarah's name here. That's, that's a little detail we need to see. Of course, the promise was for Abraham as well. 
But here it just says Sarah. Perhaps it was because Sarah experiences a pain that only women understand, the shame that came her way. And so God is gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. The Lord is gracious. He does for her what he promised. And out of this place of fulfillment, Sarah says these words. It says, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? She cannot help but laugh, so much so that she names her son laughter to laugh. And this is interesting because this is not the first time that Sarah has laughed. If you could summarize Sarah's story in a sentence, it would be that Sarah's story was about a tale of two different laughs. In Genesis 21, she laughs one way. In Genesis 18, she laughs a different way. In Genesis 18, there's a different account of her laughter. God says, I am going to visit you and the next year, and you are going to have a child. And Sarah hears this news, and this is how she responds. God says, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. There was someone who was speaking to Abraham, a representation of the, of the Lord, speaking to Abraham. Sarah overheard this. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind them. Abraham and Sarah, already very old, it's like the writer of Genesis needs to keep repeating it. They were very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then it says these words here. Next slide. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I want you to hold on to that. That's a question that God is asking each and every one of us this Sunday. Is anything too hard for the Lord? God is speaking not just to Sarah. He's speaking to us in this room. You look at your situation, the impossibility of your situation. God looks directly at you in your heart and says, is anything too hard for the Lord? The Lord says, I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I didn't laugh. But the Lord said, yeah, you laugh. Yes, you laugh. Yes, you laugh. I saw you laugh. I saw you laugh. This is a tale of two different laughs. In Genesis 18, Sarah laughs out of cynicism. She laughs out of sarcasm. She laughs out of unbelief. If someone told me, hey, the Knicks are going to win the championship this year. <laughs> That's not a laugh of faith. That's a laugh of, yeah, right. That's a laugh of cynicism. That's a laugh of sarcasm. That's a laugh of unbelief. Sarah laughs 
out of cynicism laughs, out of sarcasm laughs, out of unbelief. And God says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? And so in Genesis 18, Sarah goes from laughing out of unbelief to Genesis 21, where she goes to laughing out of joy. She goes from deep grief and fear to deep joy and laughter. Her laughter has changed. And this is a good way of explaining spirituality, Christian spirituality, that God wants to transform our laughs, that we move from the laugh of unbelief and the laugh of cynicism and the laugh of sarcasm to the laugh of joy and celebration. Her laugh has changed. Her laugh has replaced her grief. Her laugh has replaced her pain. Her laugh has replaced her sorrow. Her laugh has replaced her anxiety. And in Genesis 21, we see someone who has encountered the living God. In Lord of the Rings, I love how the story ends in in, in the third movie where after Frodo has spent many uh, days and weeks and months and we've watched him for many hours try to destroy this ring of power, he goes to Mordor and destroys the ring. He's been through hell and high water. And at the end of the movie, if you watch Lord of the Rings part three, it seems like the movie uh, ends about 10 different times. All right, it's like, oh, this is that, oh, I guess we have another hour to go. It just, it just keeps on going here. Are you about to stand up from the movie theater? No, I guess, no, we're, we're still going here, I guess. And we sit down. And in one of the scenes, at the end of it, put it on the screen, you see that Frodo comes out of this uh, immense, uh, you know, crazy experience he had destroying this ring of power. And his friends, as he comes out of this coma, whatever he was in, just jump on the bed and they're laughing in celebration. This is a picture of Sarah. She's been through all that you can imagine. But Genesis 21 shows us someone who has encountered this uh, power and favor of God, she laughs. And what I want to tell you today is Sarah's story is not unique to Sarah. The Sarah and Abraham story is our story as well, that God is going to make you laugh. It might seem impossible right now, but God is going to make you laugh. You might feel pain and sorrow right now, but God is going to make you laugh. And God is going to make us laugh for at least three reasons that we see through the book of Genesis and the life of Abraham and in Sarah. God is going to make us laugh, number one, because we will laugh because God has a way of taking that which is dead and raising it to life. Amen. God has a way of taking that which is dead and raising it to life. In Romans 4, it says these words that without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact, talking about Abraham, that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. We are, as followers of Jesus, in the resurrection business, that God has a way of taking that which is dead and raising it to life. Why will we laugh? Because God has a way of resurrecting the dead. 
God has a way of resurrecting areas of our lives that when you look at it, you say, there is no hope to this. There's no hope this person's going to change. There's no hope this relationship's going to be reconciled. There's no hope I'm going to get out of this situation. That which looks dead is simply an opportunity for God to demonstrate his power. What seems like death becomes life in the hands of God. Why will we laugh? Because God has a way of taking that which is dead and raising it to life. Not only will we laugh because of that, we will also laugh because God keeps his promises in spite of our failures. When you look at your life today, you should be laughing, hysterically laughing, because you, you know you shouldn't be here today. With all the mistakes that you've made, with all the ways that you've sinned, with all the ways that you've taken matters into your own hands over the course of your life, we should be laughing with joy and gratitude that we sit in this place today. We will laugh because God has a way of keeping promises in spite of our failures. This is why the Bible says that when we are faithless, God remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. We will laugh at the end of human history because God keeps his promises in spite of our failures. Not only will we laugh because of that, we're going to laugh because God takes that which is dead and brings it to life. We laugh because God takes, he keeps his promises in spite of our failures, but we're going to laugh because God's word is the final word. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what the doctors say. I don't care what the news says. We celebrate the reality that God will have the final word, that God's word is the final word, that God's word is the person of Jesus. He is the word of God, and Jesus will have the last word. And when our lives are hidden with Christ in God, when we belong to God, because God has the last laugh, we will have the last laugh too, because we are hidden with Christ in God. You might not see it today, but you're going to laugh. You might be filled with sorrow and grief today, but this word is a word from the future. I want to tell you what the future is going to look like. I know how the story ends. Listen, when you know how a story ends, you can, you react differently to the anxiety in the middle. If you sit next to someone who hasn't seen how the movie ends, and it's a thriller, a drama, they are filled with anxiety because what's going to happen? But if you've seen how the movie ends, you can watch it with a sense of peace because you know what's coming next. Abraham and Sarah probably didn't know what was coming next, but God has given us the gift of Scripture. We know how the story ends. And if you don't know, you better ask somebody, all right? So, the story ends with God fully and finally reigning, with Jesus Christ reigning and ruling. We know how it ends. And because we know how it ends, in the middle space between promise and fulfillment, we can laugh because we know how it's going to end. Amen. We know how it's going to end. 
going to end with celebration. It's going to end with festivity. It's going to end with joy because God has the last word. And when the kingdom of God comes in Jesus, Jesus brings the kingdom of God in such a way that laughter is with it. Celebration is with it. Joy is with it. Festivity is with it. This is why the psalmist can say that even though weeping might endure for the night, joy is going to come in the morning. This is why the apostle Paul could say in Philippians chapter 4, as he's in a prison, a dark, cold prison with rats running around him, that Paul can write the staggering words, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. This is why Nehemiah, in the face of rubble and a city that has been conquered and overthrown as he works to rebuild it, can say the joy of the Lord is my strength. When the kingdom of God comes, the kingdom of God comes with joy. And as we are in the space between promise and fulfillment, God promises us a joy that sustains us until it happens. The kingdom of God is a party. The kingdom of God is a feast. Now, this is hard for us. And much of the reason why it's hard for us to live this kind of celebratory, joyful, theologically robust life is because of our image of God and our image of Jesus. Most of us do not have an image of God and an image of Jesus of being celebratory, of being joyful, of being, of laughing. That's not the kind of way that we have grown up to see Jesus. This is actually depicted in much of Christian art throughout the centuries, how we see Jesus. And it's not that these things are wrong, it's that these things are incomplete. They only show a side of who Jesus is, and I want to introduce to you a different side. Throughout uh, the centuries in Christian art, we've seen images such as this here, where Jesus is depicted as, this is an Eastern Orthodox Jesus, very stoic, very serious. This is one portrayal of Jesus. There's another portrayal of Jesus where this is the Korean Jesus that has been depicted in Christian art. We see uh, African-American black Jesus that's been depicted in different traditions. We see the classic Catholic Jesus uh, that you probably have some, your Bible marks, uh, bookmarks in your Bible with this uh, classic Catholic Jesus. I call this one here, the next one, Puerto Rican Jesus. This is, this is a Jesus in every Latino home. You walk in, Jesus is looking at you, just like, what you doing? You know, just like, don't do that. That's what the Lord is saying. Have you been praying? You know, when Jesus looks at you that way, it's just like, I got to pray. I, I just feel like praying today. And in all of these depictions of Jesus, we see Jesus very serious. We see Jesus very stoic. We see Jesus mild-mannered. But there's another side of Jesus that we see in the Gospels. In 2011, I came across a picture of Jesus that typically the world doesn't see and doesn't celebrate. It was an artist who wanted to depict the laughing Jesus, the laughing Jesus, the joyful Jesus, the celebratory Jesus the feasting Jesus. When you see an image of Jesus like this, now it makes sense what Jesus' first miracle was. Jesus' first miracle wasn't raising someone from the dead. Jesus' first miracle wasn't giving eyes to a blind person. Jesus' first miracle wasn't giving uh, hearing to a deaf person. 
Jesus' first miracle was at a party, a place of feasting, a place of joy, a place of laughter. Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine. They come up to Jesus and say, Lord, there's no more wine. This is a problem. His mother comes up to him and says, son, there's no wine. Jesus could have said, mom, I'm saving my power (laughs) for when I'm really going to need it. Mom, I'm going to come across some blind eyes. I got to save my power. Mom, I'm going to come across some deaf ears. I got to save my power. Mom, I'm gonna, 10 chapters later, mom, I'm going to come across this guy named Lazarus. He's, I'm going to need all the power I can get to get him out of the grave. And yet Jesus doesn't do that. His mother says, do whatever he tells you. And Jesus says, get a bunch of water, guys. Let's get a gallons of water and pour it out. They start pouring out this water so much so that this water becomes wine. And not just any old wine. The guy who's the, the, the master of ceremonies, he, he gets a sip of it. And he says, wait a second. Where'd you get this wine from? He's, he's flabbergasted. He says, you know, typically people save the, the cheap wine for later because everybody's drunk and, and they can't, their palate is not as discerning uh, in that moment. But you saved the best wine for last. And what Jesus was saying is when the kingdom of God comes... The kingdom of God comes with an abundance of joy. Wine is a picture of joy. Wine is a picture of festivity. Wine is a picture of celebration. Wine is a picture that although a a sorrow might be here for a moment, sorrow does not have the last word. And so Jesus showcases to us that when the kingdom of God comes, the kingdom of God comes with joy and celebration. You are going to laugh. God is going to make you laugh. We might not laugh that something happened. We might not laugh that we experienced pain. We might not laugh that we experienced some significant abuse. We might not laugh that we had to live a big portion of our lives in sorrow. The reason we laugh is because in the pain, through the abuse, through the sorrow, God is the victorious one. You might not laugh because you were betrayed. You might not laugh because you were criticized. You might not laugh because you failed. You might not laugh because you were sinned or were sinned against, and not just us personally. We might not laugh that there's war around the globe. We might not laugh that there is poverty. We might not laugh that there is political hostility. We might not laugh that there is violence in the world. But the reason we laugh as the people of God is because we ultimately know that God will have the last word. We laugh because Jesus raises dead things to life. We laugh because he takes our mistakes and works all things together for our good. We laugh because the kingdom of God is a party. And as Christians, we don't have to wait until Jesus Christ fully and finally reigns to laugh and feel joy. As Christians, we get a sneak preview. As Christians, we get immediate access to this joy that even though the world might be in shambles, Christians can live with a joy that confounds the world because the kingdom of God has come. And we are in the kingdom of God. One day you are going to laugh. 
And so what is the invitation for us? The invitation for us is to be like Abraham and like Sarah. What did they do? Nothing except stick close to God. When they wanted to give up, they came back to God. When they felt moments of doubt, they came back to God. And we are invited time and time again to come back to this God who is faithful to his promises. Why do we say that we are to pray three times a day and experience silence and hear God through scripture and join small groups and gather on Sundays and volunteer and serve? It's our way of saying we want to stay close to Jesus because everything inside of us wants to run. And you came here to church today, perhaps ready to run. And God's word to you is to say, stick close to me. Stay with me. Abide in me. Remain in me. Because one day, I'm going to make you laugh. Amen. Let's pray. I invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes, invite the worship team to come forward. What is an impossible situation you are facing today? Maybe it's something on your job, something in your home, a cloud of depression. You feel stuck in this phase of life and in this place of life. What's an impossible situation you're facing today? It's our opportunity to offer that to God and say, Lord, I surrender to you what seems impossible. And Lord, as I stay in, in that space between promise and fulfillment, would you fill me with joy? that would confound all those who see me. What's that area that Jesus wants you to surrender to today? Lord Jesus, on the Sunday afternoon, We confess that in that space between promise and fulfillment, we often lose heart. We often take matters into our own hands. We often live with fear and despair and anxiety. And yet, Lord, you're going to make us laugh. And so, Lord, as we anticipate the day that you fully and finally reign over all the world when we will truly laugh. Would you give us moments of laughter and joy, a joy that will sustain us even as we wait for your promise to be fulfilled in us, whatever that promise is. Lord, we sing to you now words of praise and worship. That when we call, you answer. And so move in us, Lord Jesus. Set us free. And grant us joy this day. We sing to you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said.
Let's all stand, let's sing together. Just pause for a moment. The Lord says, call unto me and I will answer. The Lord is the faithful one. Do not be afraid, says the Lord. Do not be dismayed, for I am with you. I will sustain you. I will strengthen you. I will empower you, says God. I am always with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Lord Jesus, we trust in this promise that when we call to you, you answer. Lord, many of us find ourselves in that in-between space where we've called, but we haven't heard anything yet. Lord, we sing in faith today, trusting that you are the God who responds and answers. And so, Lord, may we hold on to that reality. Lord. Amen. Let's put our hands together for the God who answers, responds. Yes. I want to invite our prayer team to come to my left. The Lord's table is to my right. When you come and we take bread and dip it in the cup, we come to a table that's a feast. And if you come for the bread and dip it in the cup, may, you, may your prayer be, Lord, May you help me to laugh even in the midst of pain. May that be your prayer today, that when you take in the body and blood of Christ, may that permeate your entire being, the joyful reality of who Jesus is. May it penetrate every part of your being. And we have our prayer team to my left. I imagine some of you, many of us, most of us, maybe all of us, are living in that space between promise and fulfillment. You're hoping and waiting that God would do something in your life, and you're so tempted to give up. This is why we need the body of Christ. We need community to stay uh, committed to God when everything inside of us wants to go. And so our prayer team is here to pray for you. Whatever need you have, we'll stay as long as we need to. But if you sense God calling you deeper to himself and everything inside of you wants to run, our prayer team would love to pray for you. And so our prayer team's to my left. Lord's table to my right. Downstairs, if you are if you're a resident in the Bronx, there's a little uh, meet and greet downstairs before you head out. So make sure to stop in there for a few seconds to um, learn more about what's happening in the Bronx um, as it pertains to New Life Fellowship. And so as we close out, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. Some of you today came in here, and you're looking at your life, and you're saying, my life is nothing to laugh about. I feel sorrow and pain, and yet God is going to make you laugh. Amen. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you and fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
with a joy that the world can't give and the world can't take away. May you stay close to Jesus this week. And may he fill you with joy and celebration and laughter that makes no sense of the world. And like Sarah, may your joy be contagious to all you encounter. May they laugh with you. So I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the joyful name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.